Welcome to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 17th, and we've got quite a show today. My name is Justin Berger, and I am joined by Doug Watley and Alec Kieser. We are back after a month off, and we've got a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. Keys, I'm going to start with you. A couple hours ago, we got a statement. Obviously, we've had a lot of baseball news going on in the in the past couple days. We got a statement straight from the desk of the commissioner, Rob Manfred, today. I want to get your initial thoughts on that. Um, as you guys know, I literally read this like five minutes ago, and so I'm straight off the uh, straight off the stove with it. I just Rob Manfred missed completely. He just missed completely. If rewind three months ago, take us to March. Quarantine initially hits. NBA's in flux. NHL's in flux. NFL, who knows? Baseball has the opportunity to be the only live sport going on. And now we're in – it's almost the end of June. And there's st- – like, now they're, they're – they think it's encouraging that we're going to play. Like, what are we doing? There's so much money involved. So much money. I just don't understand why they, they couldn't come to an agreement sooner. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Baseball is one of those sports that's non-contact. Like you said, it's – this is the heart of the season. It's the dog days of summer. That's where baseball thrives. And, yes, they completely missed it. And it's sad because – we could have had sports. We have the UFC right now. We're starting to have golf and, and other sports are starting to pick up. But baseball, if relatively organized, I think could have started two or three weeks ago. And you could still counter. Obviously, COVID still a factor. And you got to make sure that the precautions are taken. But like you said, he, he just kind of missed the mark. And he's trying to get there now. But there still seems like there's some work to do. Let's stay with Manfred because – this, I'm not 100% sure, it's either number six or number seven in the negotiations that have been thrown out. I think either this is either the second or the third from the MLB, and the Players Association has either had four or five. So where's the disconnect between Manfred, who is a front for the owners, and the players and the association? Either one of you wants it's to tackle not, this it's one. It's not – I don't – the thing that is is – and not hard for me to swallow, but just that, like you said, Manfred's a front for the owners. I think SNY came out with something yesterday that said, I think there's six or eight owners that don't want to play because of financial mm-hmm. reasons. Like then don't own a baseball team. Um, this is everything to do with, with owners being not wanting to pay players. And, and I, honestly, I, I'll leave it at that because the players want to play. They signed contracts. If you, if it was negotiated fairly and it wasn't felt like they were being whacked over the head with negotiating tactics and dragged through the mud, then I really think the players, at the end of the day, the prorated salaries wasn't going to be that big of a deal until the owners made it specifically about that. Then they have to fight for their right. But it's, it's how can you own a baseball team and not want to play a season? It makes no sense. It's, it's, uh, it's again, incredibly frustrating. I'll give you an example. And I feel like I'm always talking about Atlanta, but it's what I'm most knowledgeable about. Atlanta is owned not by a person, by a corporation called Liberty Media. Their headquarters are in Denver. They've never, they bought from Ted Turner 20 or so years ago, 25 years ago. They, the Atlanta Braves are a portfolio in this company's, uh, I'm not a business major, but they, they are just a moneymaker for Liberty Media. The Braves historically, last season aside, when they spent $23 million on Josh Donaldson, don't spend money on players because Sun, not SunTrust Park anymore, Truist Park and the Battery, which is where the Braves play, are is such a cash cow 
for Liberty Media. They are not worried about the product on the field because they know they're going to make money. They made almost $450 million last year with a 90-win baseball team, but still, they don't care what happens on the field. They don't care about winning championships. They care about are we making money or not, and this boils down to that. Yeah, you're right. It's a lot about the owners. And I think the thing that frustrated me most about the commissioner and his statement and kind of his view, his viewpoints back and forth, starting about a week ago where he said he's 100% confident there's going to be a season this year. It's going to happen. And then a couple of days ago, he says he's not confident. And then that just kind of took fans for a swirl. And so pretty much he's just going back and forth. And it's very frustrating because more now than ever, I know there's been strikes in the past. I think it was, what, 92 or something like that, 94. The information was not as public. So I think now that the fans, and the fans are also smarter, that now it's all public and social media spreads everything. So I think that's another part of it. I, I've been saying, we, we talked about it, but I've been saying to my dad the last couple of nights, like 8 p.m., I was like, we should be watching a Braves game right now. Like, should just be casually flipping through the channels, watching should the be Braves dollar play. dog Wednesday. Right. I don't get the – so I, I think I can speak freely about this, that fans and players almost universally want to be playing. Fans want to be watching, players want to be playing. I don't think there's a single person in the world that doesn't want that. I don't how, – how can the commissioner of a league this big be so tone deaf to that and just be like, you know what, I'm going to ignore the millions of fans I have worldwide – and the thousands of employees that my league, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. Tone deaf is completely the right word because especially when, and I think we're going to go on to talk about this when we talk about the long gone summer and and what a disaster that was, but baseball's biggest problem right now is it's struggling to attract fans. Um, One of the reasons is incompetence at the top and they just, you can't keep fumbling these things like the strike. And I think it was 92. Um, Baseball lost a lot. 94, it was. All right, whatever. Um, it's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> the strike, like, that wasn't a joke. Like, baseball lost fans from that. Uh, and, and they're, like, still struggling to market baseball. And, and, and this, this is your, like, this, that's your last three months? Like, you're not going to lose me as a fan, but for somebody who is trying to take a, a, a real look at this, like, I've, I'm a, an average fan or a casual fan. Like, I don't – like, why – what what makes me want to watch this? And the thing about the strike from the 90s is they had steroids and electric players like Ken Griffey, Sammy Sosa, to kind of bump them up. Right now, the way that the players, at least most of them, are marketed, they're not going to have that boost come two, three years to really pick it up. Obviously, there'll be changes like the DH that we'll talk about later that is kind of – pushing towards that and, and making it more fan-friendly. But at the same time, they don't have an exponential boost to the ratings like steroids did for baseball in the 90s. So that's another problem that once they get past this thick mud of negotiations, then they got to think about how they're going to market the sport and actually do a good job with it too. Yeah. Can I ask you a question that I, that I asked um, uh, Sharon before we started? Yeah. Why are steroids illegal in baseball? Just because – and hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. It was markedly better for the sport. There's no physical contact, so you're, it's not like fighting or football um, where you can put somebody's life at, at, at serious risk. Um, I don't know. 
if if it was legal for everybody and everybody was doing it, you could convince me that it'd be, it'd be okay. I, I don't know. That's just me. There are there are negative side effects. I mean, I understand. Oh yeah, what obviously. Saying. There's there's it's it's they're terrible for you. But if somebody wants to do that to their own body for my entertainment, if you told me that when it initially hit when like let's say when sosa well, you would never oh, well that was different because it. because the uh the, the league tried to cover it up yeah they did for a while but i'm saying i'm saying what if they were transparent about it there's a ne- there's enough negative aroma pretty much about steroids and barry bonds it is so is this home run record really count if you bring it back now i just think it's going to be too much to overcome that's my answer very, in a nutshell very fair and we're gonna we're gonna move on to a little positive baseball mark for keys about the Yankees, but I want to just quick details about the deal, the agreement, the meet. I, we don't know what it's called. I don't know if it was a piece of paper, or signature, whatever. What's being reported is sixty games, a hundred percent prorated pay, waiver of grievances, sixteen team expanded playoffs two years of the DH until the new CBA, which is they'll, they'll presumably add the DH to the NL full-time yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I believe, and I think is fact that no matter what happens here, we're going to have at least a 50 game season because that's part of the March 26th agreement from this year that uh, Manfred can institute that at his will whenever he wants so I think we're looking at at least 50 games. Apparently the players want more than 60. That was like the only grievance with this one. I don't, what did you guys think? If, if you're getting prorated salaries, prorated means that you're like relative to, to how many games you play is what you're going to make. Relative to how many games you play relative to the original contract. Hmm. I can see why the players want more than 60 games at, as a as a player, that would frustrate me because I want more money and I earn more money. As a fan, as specifically as a Red Sox fan and as a team who has maybe two pitchers, um, a shorter season kind of excites me in a selfish way. Um, yes, I want the players to get paid and the owners should pay them. But if there's a 60-game season and 16 teams make the playoffs, I think Karab has tweeted today, don't let the Red Sox get hot, kid. The yeah, thing about the 60 goes for any team. Yeah, it, it does because what that does is pretty much is an extended playoff of, you know what, if you go on a cold streak of 10 games, you lose seven or eight of them, you're in such a bad position as it is, whether it starts the season with that or if it comes towards the end. Obviously, the 16 teams will welcome more teams into the playoff, but I think the idea of a 60-game season, I think it will probably turn out to be 65 or 70. I think the That's players will ask for more. They'll, they'll meet in the middle somewhere. But even 65 to 70, each game's going to matter. And it's going to make it baseball exciting. Um, and I don't know, I'm looking forward to it. So let me do a, another one of our favorite segments called Justin Reads a Tweet. This is from Rosenthal. He's saying that 65 games is where they think they're going to settle. Right now, the proposal's for 60 games in 70 days, 10 off days for each team. Jason Stark thinks 66 games is the perfect number because that would fit ideally for scheduling. So it sounds like mid-60s is where we're going to end up. Like I just said, with, with, with two pitchers and a, a shortened season, for, for selfish reasons, it excites me. But, 
I mean, I, we were talking before this, and, like, I'm a fan of 162 games because I love the grind. Uh, baseball, my coach used to say, is always about sample size. You can have a guy look great in 10 at-bats. You can, you can bat 700 in 10 at-bats. What can you do in 500 at-bats? That's yeah. why the best guys – that's why nobody's hit 400 since Ted Williams. Um, and so for the diehards and, and that aspect, like, I'll miss that. But, like I just said, can't count out the Sox in 60 games. I need – I need baseball. Like I am not, you're not going to rob me of Freddie Freeman's last season in his twenties or Ronald Acuna's third or second full season. It's, it's disheartening. So I need baseball. I need to see some games. I need to see the Braves in the playoffs. World series counts this year. We're going to go ahead and write that. If either of our three teams win, it counts. It's a real championship. Only if. Yeah. Only if. If If anyone else wins, screw them. If is in bold and underlined and capitalized. (laughs) Keys, what can you tell me about the Yankees? I would, he can tell you for, a lot about for, the Yankees. For those, for those who don't know who Jared Caravas is, he's the, the Barstool, MLB, and Red Sox guy, but he has been nonstop since the athletic article by Evan Drellick dropped um, documenting the Red Sox cheating scandal in which the Yankees were mentioned 71 times, which sparked an investigation of the Red Sox and resulted in them losing a second-round draft pick even after nothing was found, no evidence was found of any wrongdoing. So it comes and out a head coach and a head coach. Well, that was more for the Houston thing, but yeah. Um, oh yeah, right. it then comes out that in 2017 there was a scandal with the Yankees, and it wasn't a big deal. But there's this there's this unsealed there's a sealed letter that was like voted to be unsealed, and the Yankees or the league don't want it to be unsealed. But it but it's okay. The Yankees didn't do anything wrong, but just absolutely whatever you do, don't unseal that letter. But no, we're fine. We did nothing wrong. But definitely don't unseal that letter. Just see, seems a little fishy to me. Um, but, uh, like, Carabas has been going off about the, the Yankees in 2017 because this is the, the alleged year of the alleged cheating and uh, how they should have their World Series taken away from that year. Um, and if you can remember, they did not win the World Series that year, which is the, which is the best joke going on Twitter right now. Um, so it, it's, it's as – a fan of a team that got dragged through the mud for something that every other team is doing. It was nice to see the Yankees take a little shit on Twitter, even if it was just taking a little shit on Twitter. All right. Well then I, I mean, I got, I don't know enough to tell you about it, but if your team got dragged through the mud, I want every other team to get dragged. Through so the it's mud. pretty much the big idea is you guys lost a draft pick over some BS. It was like, like the what's the, what's the takeaway some... for someone that doesn't really know much? I mean, in terms of a Red Sox Yankees thing, it was like the Sox got it. It was like if if you and your brother steal a cookie and only you get in trouble. It was like or or like five people. What an analogy! Like thirty people stole the cookie, and only I got in trouble. Like, are you kidding me? Everybody took a cookie. Wow! All right, well, we're leaving it at that. We were leaving it at that. Um, I know, Doug, you watched Long Summer Gone. Um, Keys and I did not because I know we both recorded it with the intention of watching it on Monday morning, and then we woke up to a shitstorm on Twitter led by none other than Big Cat absolutely crapping all over the uh, documentary. Doug, what did you think? I want to throw in that I did watch like five minutes of it and turned it off, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, five minutes is all you really should have watched. Um, it was it was interesting to watch. So I heard before that critics that watched it before it debuted or debut, um, it was getting bad reviews right away. I heard that 
And so when I started watching, I'm like, all right, I'm not really expecting much, but I do want to learn something about Sammy Sosa. I was not alive in 98, so I didn't know this historic summer, him hitting 20 home runs in a month. That's all news to me. That's insane. And guess what? That got highlighted for about 20 seconds in the documentary, but I digress. Um, Overall, the documentary, the main thing, obviously, was the back and forth between Sosa and McGuire and hitting home runs in the 98 season. That's all great, but the overwhelming story should have been the steroids. And I feel like as a fan, I already knew that they hit all these home runs. I already knew that. I, I didn't watch them, but it's something that I learned. What I didn't know is how did they get that? What did the teammates think? What did the opposing pitchers think? What are different perspectives that people are not accustomed to hearing because they already know these great calls by radio announcers. That's, that's already publicized. So I thought the director kind of missed about uh, uncovering the unknown about it. And that's what frustrated me because I already knew Sammy Sosa was a great player. He's a funny dude, but I just didn't learn much from the documentary. Yeah. Honestly, if I could, if we could just, I had the ability to just clip big cats quotes about the documentary and fit it in here. Like he would speak for me because a couple of things that he said, he said that it was like, I think he, I don't want to misquote him, but he said something like it was the bat signal for like old white sports reporters um, yeah. and it highlights some of the problems that, um, that baseball has. But it was also that Sammy Sosa was like, it was like the Mark McGuire documentary, but like featuring Sammy Sosa, like he was barely in it. Like you said, they gloss over, the the 20 home run month by Sosa, which is the most bonkers stat I've ever, like one of the most ridiculous stats Crazy. I've ever heard. Um, it, it, it really felt like we were supposed to feel bad for Mark McGuire. Um, but why? Because he cheated knowingly. Um, it was just, it was really weird. It was just like, it, it felt, it felt like somebody was running highlights and, and, and nothing like we didn't learn anything like the, the last dance, like we learned something. We were learning new things about MJ. We're like, that didn't tell us anything new. And they swept the steroid era under the rug. Like, I know I joked around earlier about, like, should steroids be legal? But obviously they were illegal. And like you were saying, like, teammates' perspectives, reporters' perspectives, like – I didn't somebody, get any of that. Like, somebody was saying that they knew there were certain guys that you, like, didn't slap on the ass because, that like, the injection spot was too sore. Like, where was that? Mm-hmm. There was none of that. It was just like a – it was a glorified highlight tape for Mark McGuire. Like, I don't want to feel bad for that guy. Yeah, it was – like you said, it was a lot about Mark McGuire – and the thing is, Sammy Sosa, although Mark McGuire had the most home runs that year, Sammy Sosa was MVP. He's by far the better personality. He's funny. He grew up – like, I would like to know about him. He, all I mentioned about his come up from the Dominican Republic was that he was a shoe shiner. But I know that there is so much more to that and the tough road to, got, to get to where he was. So a lot of missed um, chances with that. And to kind of top it off, the input by of uh, the Wrigley Field in twenty, I think it was twenty eighteen, in a scene that Chris was Bryant reminiscing TV. over ninety eight. And it's like, dude, that scoreboard was not there twenty years ago. Nobody was gonna miss that. Why did they try and slip it past people? Unbelievable. And the ra- the ratings were very bad. It did not gain a lot of viewers. It was just really a poor production. I didn't watch the Lance one. I don't know if you guys did, but I was gonna say. I, the last time we recorded was after the last last dance. Yeah. And I remember saying, like, here we go. I'm going to watch both the Lance Armstrongs. I'm going to watch Bruce Lee. I'm going to watch uh, Long Summer Gone. I didn't watch any of them. I just yeah. – I didn't have the interest. I, the, apparently the first 
the first like hour of the first episode of Lance was good. Uh, but after that, it was just like, all yeah, right, you even stopped seeing it on Twitter. Like, yeah. It, it, like a couple of the, the memes blew up. And it's but- like, there was such momentum after those five weeks for last, but it's like at the end of the day, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Even Lance Armstrong's the biggest name in cycling, even though he cheated and people still didn't give a shit. So, you know, that just shows you the power of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, none of you guys watched either of the other ones, right? No. no. And I, I think figured. that uh, I want to throw a, a take at you guys because it's something I realized like as, like as we've gone longer and longer without the major sports leagues coming back. Um, I thought I was super pumped about live sports. Turns out I was wrong. I'm super pumped about the sports I care about. And so, like, I have yeah, not that's been fair. waking up to watch Korean League Baseball, even though I watched them this morning. And yeah. It, tickled my baseball fancy a little bit i'm not gonna lie so i might start doing that a little more but like i just like it's it's nice to start having things come back for some normalcy but like uh, i i'm not gonna drop everything and go watch like australian cricket because i'm dying for five sports uh, i kind of feel it. i woke up the first morning for uh bundesliga and i i want that's the only morning i watched it like it was great i enjoyed it but these aren't players i know that these aren't teams that i root for it's not like I'm watching like the Orioles play the Blue Jays. At least I know who's on those teams. Mm. I didn't know anything that was going on in this German soccer league. So I agree with you on that, which brings me to golf. Um, last week, well, we didn't have a show for the match, uh, the second one. But just briefly for that, I thought, and I'll get your take if you disagree with me, but I thought it was spectacular. It was five hours of perfect TV. I thought Brian Anderson did an unbelievable job of filling in for Ernie Johnson. Chuck, of course, Charles Barkley was an analyst with Trevor Immelman. It was perfect TV. Tiger was great for the first nine holes on camera. And then when it got close on the back nine, he shut up because he went into Tiger mode, which was pretty cool. Uh, Phil is just an entertainer. And I thought he did a great job. I don't know if you guys watched the whole thing, but it was, I don't know, it was like the fourth or fifth hole, and it was raining at that point, and JT was interviewing him while he was hitting a chip, and Phil was like, well, you see, the grass is darker here, so I'm going to hit it into that grain, and it's going to stop, and he stopped the ball on the grain. The, the ball ended like six inches from the hole. It was beautiful. Um, Tom Brady stinks, and Peyton Manning is a pretty good golfer and is one of the funniest celebrity athletes of our generation he's destined for the booth he's destined for the Monday Night Football job and at ESPN they've done it already but they should do it again just throw everything at him throw all back all the dump trucks up just whatever Peyton's number is give it to him because he is a difference maker it would be cool if Tariko was still there because it'd be nice to hear him with Tariko yeah I agree with that I mean Tariko obviously to get broadcastery for a second but Tariko leaving ESPN made sense because Al Michaels is 75 and the NBC job is a bigger deal because Olympics. Yeah, um, Olympics Sunday night. Well, I, I, thought the, I thought the match was a tremendous success, and I'm looking forward to it next year because they said they're going to try and make it a yearly thing. And happy 50th birthday, Phil. His birthday was yesterday. Justin loves um, you. I, yes, I do. Uh, Charles Schwab, Colonial Golf Course, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, huge success. Let, just forget about golf. Huge success from a coronavirus standpoint. Um, they tested everybody, uh, I, I guess, every day. I don't know. 
the, the time they got there, no one had it. And the time they left, no one had it. So that's including staff, uh, USGA people, players, caddies. So everyone was good there, um, which is a success, obviously, from a pandemic standpoint. What a leaderboard. The golf was spectacular. And I don't know how much you guys watched, but I was glued to my TV uh, Sunday was a roller coaster ride. I thought for sure Xander Shoffley was going to win. That putt on 17 was, or was it, was it 17? When 17 it was out? brutal. Yeah, 17, 17 was, was brutal to everyone, pretty much. That was a whole yeah. death. Um, Daniel Berger, my long lost cousin, got it done. Doug, I appreciate the tweet. Uh, Morikawa, I had never watched him play before, but that kid hits his irons better than anyone I've ever seen. He is nails. Uh, DeChambeau, I want to talk about later, but he played well. Justin Rose, I mean, you just hear these names, Justin Rose, Bubba Watson, Gary Woodland, Spieth, JT. Uh, who else? Someone else was up there too. That was big. Finau's up there. Kisner's up there. Kepka's up there. The leaderboard's full of names that you know. Pretty much everyone played except for Tiger, and Tiger's not playing this week either at, uh, at Hilton Head, even though they thought he would. But Keys, I, I know you didn't watch but Doug you did yeah I watched Sunday what were your thoughts on the tournament in general before we get into specifics I thought it was very entertaining it got a lot of ratings it drew 3.1 million viewers for the final round um, which is for those that don't know it's it's a very impressive number it doesn't come around often especially for golf and with Berger Murakawa and Shoffley who's Xander Shoffley has kind of made a name for himself at this point, but Berger and obviously the 23-year-old Morikawa have not yet. So for those three to be on top, and then obviously DeChambeau was up there. But, Justin, you mentioned a lot of great golfers played, but you didn't see Dustin Johnson, Kepka at the top, top of the leaderboard. So I thought the fact that it got as great of ratings as it did with players that are up-and-comers and, and could save at the top for a little bit, but maybe aren't as consistent week in and week out is very impressive. I'll tell you why DJ and Kepka didn't. I mean, Kepka finished like top 20, I think. But DJ, if he's not hitting his drive straight, he's screwed. He's got nothing else. He can't putt and he's got no short game. Uh, but this course the number one golfer in the world can't putt and has no short game. Rory McIlroy is the number one golfer in the world, even though he shot like oh, sorry, a 78 on Sunday. But – no, this course didn't favor the long ball hitters. This course was all about your second shot, and that's what you that reflects the leaderboard. Um, Desham, well, Berger, he's got right now the longest streak of under par rounds in a row. I, I, I could be, I think it's like twenty six. I could be wrong with that number, but it's around there, which is incredibly impressive because even the best will go out and shoot a seventy three one time. So to to do that for a bunch of rounds in a row is really impressive. This is a big win for him. It's, I think it's his third on the PGA Tour, and it's they're all three big names. Like, Colony, that's no joke. Um, let me move to DeChambeau. DeChambeau made news outside of the golf world, really. For those of you who don't know, Bryson DeChambeau is young-ish, probably 25. Uh, just a complete nerd. His golf game is all about the mathematics and the trajectory angle and whatever. So he weighed like a buck 90 and he gained 40 pounds over quarantine on purpose. Uh, he looks like 
Bryson DeChambeau ate Bryson DeChambeau. And he is was out there crushing balls. He was playing really well. He has a new putting stroke. Uh, his his uh, ball speed is like up five miles per hour, which is ridiculous to do this late in your career. So that was big news for him. Unfortunately for him, it doesn't matter. He's still not winning. Or it's one been one tournament, but he's got to win a tournament. That's what matters with him. If he does all this crap and it does nothing, so what? You got to win tournaments. He was close, though. It was the first tournament. He had to put on 18 that wasn't really that far. He just – 18, if you watched, especially in the last round, a lot of putts that should have been made were missed low for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and he was a victim to that. He, I agree. He he has the talent that I feel like he should be taking more championships, but at the same time, he's still young. He's very polarizing. I don't know about you, Justin, but I'm not a big fan of him and just kind of his – antics and his his style i think he is the perfect golf villain he is a he I, is a yes if he wins a little bit more yes yeah i i just think he like personality wise the perfect archetype for a villain um one more thing just about the leaderboard before we move on spieth played about as well as he has since he won his last major which everything about spieth revolves around his mental game and his putting and he finally putted well for like the first time in two and a half years so if you're a Spieth fan that was encouraging for you and JT Justin Thomas is playing some of the most consistent golf in the world I think he's like fourth in the fourth in the world rankings right now he's playing exceptionally well Spieth was great up until the final round I think it was especially the front nine on Sunday is where he kind of fell apart and I do want to give credit to Spieth because he did have a great first three rounds, but then he still got that Spieth Sunday. So I obviously he's gotten past it in the past, but I don't know. He is uh, he is one like John Rahm, like DeChambeau. He lives in his head, and if he can't get out of his head, he's going to have problems. Uh, no fans, no problem, right? I some of the Ricky Fowler I think said it was too quiet, but. I never was like, man, I'm like, I missed the claps, but I never thought it was that big of an issue. Golf doesn't need fans. I, I tend doesn't. to agree with you. Like, is um, is the roar of the crowd when somebody sinks a putt in the 18 or whatever? A nice, is it cool? Yeah, the moment's cool. But in terms of like golf as a competition, you don't need the fans. But here's the thing I will say about that is I, I think it was Shoffley who mentioned something about that. As a viewer, when you're watching on TV, you know the score instantaneously you look at the graphic it's there the players don't have them they have scoreboards there but they're not they're not instant so i think shoffley said something about yeah if the fans are loud the hole in front of me i know someone must have made a good shot yeah you have kind of an idea of how somebody performed so that's the thing that yeah exactly so that's the thing that was missing and i don't know if it's that big of a deal because you should be focused on your own game but players have gotten used to it so i think it was interesting to have that aspect pulled out. I didn't think it was weird on the on the whole, but whenever Tiger decides to play and if he plays yeah. without fans, that is when it will be weird. Because if he does – even needed something bad, people still scream at him. So that's when it will be, like, noticeable for me. Um, on that point are the upcoming schedule for the PGA Tour next week – or I guess this week, tomorrow, like I said – uh, RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, beautiful golf course. 
everyone again is playing except for Tiger. There was some chatter la- uh, last week because his yacht was moving up the coast of Georgia, and they thought maybe he was going to go park it in Hilton Head and play there. But alas, he is not. Then there's the Travelers up in the Northeast in Connecticut the week after that. But what's really important in, I think, July 6th, starting July 6th, which is a Tuesday. No, which is a Monday. um, Memorial in Muirfield Village, that's Jack Nicholas's golf club in Ohio, is hosting back-to-back tournaments July 6th through July 19th. One of them's Memorial, which is one of the biggest non-majors. The other one is the Ready Care, something like that doesn't matter tournament, but it's back-to-back weeks and Ohio's governor work a day. That's what it is. Work day. Um, Ohio's governor has allowed fans 8,000 max. Uh, I believe masks are encouraged, but not required. And obviously on a golf course, you can socially distance. So that'll be interesting to see what it's like with 8,000 people kind of get your feet wet. Um, But that's, that's where we're at right now. That's really the next big tournament is the Memorial on the 16th. And then we don't have a major until August 3rd. They're still planning to play in San Francisco for the PGA championship, but golf is back. I'm jacked up. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. When do you think Tiger comes back? So I'm looking at the schedule right now. Um, So like I said, Hilton head this week, he's not playing there. Travelers next week in Connecticut. I doubt he plays that. Then after that is Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. No reason wait for, for him to play there. Yeah. So I'm going to think he, think waits, for he waits for Jack's tournament, Yeah. Um, which would be, you know, a month from now. I don't think he'll play in the first one at Memorial, uh, or I keep saying at Memorial, but at Muirfield Village. I think he'll wait for the Memorial tournament because he always plays there. Him and Jack have, like, a pretty good relationship, actually, for two of the best athletes in their game. Um. So I think that's when he'll be back. So you can expect Tiger in a month, according to me. He's he's 44. His back is better but not healthy. He can't go out there and play every day. It's a miracle that Phil's doing it at his age still. So that's I, Tiger's picking and choosing. And I thought just before we wrap up golf, him, Phil, and Tiger both in the match, Tiger was hitting the ball better, even better, I thought, than he looked at the Masters. I thought his ball striking off the tee and on the fairway were spectacular. He wasn't putting exceptionally, but on from tee to green, he was great. So like I said, I'm a golf nut. I could talk about this all day, but I think, I think golf is moving in the right, right direction, which brings us, we're not doing a best. Well, we're kind of doing a best of this week. We're going to do a group think best of, selected commissioners. It's kind of going to be a power ranking. Um, we have uh, no particular order. We've got Bettman of the NHL, Monahan of the PGA, McMahon of the WWE, Goodell, NFL, Manfred, MLB, Adam Silver in the NBA, and Dana White of the UFC. So keys walk the people through our thought process here, what we're talking about. Uh, so basically what we're going to do is we have, before we um, come on, came on and decided to record, we sat down and we hashed out our power rankings for who we think are the best commissioners in sports today. Um, honestly, it wasn't that much of a debate, which 
was kind of surprised. I, I guess it wasn't that surprising, but um, I think our list makes sense, but we'd love to debate it with you guys and, and figure that out. So without further ado, I guess I'll start us off. And the, the number one G or number one commissioner in our power rankings is the NBA's Adam Silver. I'll take this one. Um, I, I think I, I agree with you. I, we were between two guys for this, but I think Adam Silver is the clear number one. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but the way he and the league are handling our two biggest crises right now, Black Lives Matter and COVID-19. They, the NBA has been on the front lines for both of those, whether it's Black Lives Matter, listening to what the players have to say and their experiences and creating a dialogue after that, which we haven't seen in a lot of leagues. And then COVID-19, you shut it down immediately and you immediately have a plan. So I've been very, and plus he's just like a, he's a stand-up guy. And he tells you he always is informative with what's going on, even in non-pandemic times. I've always been happy with Adam Silver. He's always been a non-controversy guy. And he keeps his, he keeps his league in shape. For me, Adam Silver, as soon as, you, as soon as he came into the league as the official commissioner, he was hit within, I think, a couple months with Donald Sterling and yeah. that whole saga in Los Angeles. And that was, what, in 2015, 16, maybe like 14? I think. Something like that. And so pretty much what happened was he banned Donald Sterling, who was an owner, very rich man, out of the league and was positively received for that. And that was his first big move right away, got out of the gate strong. And then minor things here and there, like Justin said, with the way he's handled COVID and Black Lives Matter recently has been outstanding. And I think part of it is his players being very smart. Obviously, LeBron's the main one that sticks out. I think when you have your number one player be such a positive advocate with social matters, it makes your job easier. So, But, but nonetheless, he's done a great job um, kind of going with his players on that. And then one final thing I do want to say about him. I think, I don't know if it's being lucky, but he worked with David Stern for a while. And David Stern was one of the best commissioners of all time of any sport, uh, including basketball. So, for him to kind of learn the ropes from such a great and then take the positives from him and then kind of change some things that maybe he would do differently. I think it's the perfect combination is what he set up here. Yeah. And I think um, leadership comes from the top. Like you said, having a number one athlete like LeBron James, who uses his platform the way that he does and, and affects the world in so many positive different ways um, definitely makes his job as a commissioner easier, but the league definitely reflects the way, that Adam Silver acts and uh, you Justin talked about creating a dialogue and just listening and things like that and shows like inside the NBA and all of this stuff just being allowing people to speak up and, and be a voice for people who have been oppressed for too long um, that doesn't it obviously doesn't start with Silver because it's an issue that everybody needs to to own and, and try and make better but he definitely helps it move in the right direction and so that partly um, but definitely recently um, is the reason why we put Silver at the top of the power rankings. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I got nothing else to say. I think we've done an excellent job summarizing him. Uh, number two, we'll just get into it. Dana White, Keys, I know you're the big UFC guy, but I know we all have got opinions on him, so go ahead and start with that. Uncle Dana, 
So if we want to talk about fast responses to coronavirus, Dana White had fights up and going, I think, less than a month or maybe a month into quarantine. Um, we've got Fight Island coming up. That starts on my birthday, July 11th. I'm extremely excited for. But we have fights coming up this weekend. There were fights last weekend. Um, the UFC hasn't skipped a beat. There's fighters retired. They're always in the news. Um, I, he handles his job perfectly. There's only one guy who could do what he does. And honestly, if the UFC was a little bigger um, – and that's no knock to the UFC and how big they are, but compared to the NBA, I, I, you could even tempt me to put Dana White first just because of the way, like, there's nobody who could do his job the way he does it and as well as he does it. And, and the UFC's success, um, they owe in part to the way Dana White does his job and conducts himself. Oh, it's, I think it's definitely a lot of the success comes from Dana White. That His personality, his it's kind of egotistical, and he – He's just a loud voice, and but that's kind of part of it, you know. I think it works well with wrestler or with UFC because that it's just a vicious sport. You kind of want a vicious guy running your league. I'm not saying he's vicious, but his personality in some sorts are that. No, you actually um, need a guy who who can sit, who can look at John Jones and yeah, say, "No, exactly. I'm not going to give you more money." It takes yeah. a special kind of guy to do that. I think the way that he sells his sport is better than any commissioner. He's more in the media. I think part of it's because it is a smaller sport. So it's not like he's got a ton. Obviously he has a lot to do, but um, it, it allows him to get out and be a salesman for a sport to the fights this weekend, a certain up and coming fighter that people should know about. And when you hear from the commissioner, it kind of sets a different tone. So I think, the way that he handles his business that way is very, very smart. Yeah, he's every bit of a promoter as he is president, as he as he does. Um, you know, he does go, he goes on the marketing tours with the fighters. Like he's yeah. he's all over the place. It's not like um, that guy rests. Um, and obviously, you can't have the UFC without fighters and, and marquee guys. But if you don't have anybody corralling these guys, then it just gets bent out of shape. And and Dana White, like I said before, is irreplaceable. I am admittedly an outsider looking in with the UFC, but. I know what he means to like you take away we even even if you say Adam Silver you take away Adam Silver from the NBA the NBA still gets up and runs tomorrow but you take away Dana White from the UFC I don't know what that looks like it's a completely different situation because he is the UFC I mean the fighters are UFC but when you think of UFC you think of Dana White absolutely um it may change it may change but I think Right now, the way he started it is and publicized it with the video game and just kind of all these different TV deals, whatever, ESPN Plus now, has been a very, very good mark for Dana. Our next guy's pretty similar. Um, this one took some convincing on my part, so I guess I'll start. Yeah, same. Um, number three, we have Vince McMahon, WWE commissioner for president, whatever you want to call him, for Chairman, three, chairman of the WWE. Chairman. chairman. For 30 plus years, um, we're not including the XFL because, or both the XFLs, because obviously those have been failures. We were just talking about WWE. Very similar to Dana White. You can't, you don't have the WWE without Vince McMahon. The entire thing from beginning to end is his image. It is, for those of you that don't know, a storyline. It is rehearsed. It is not real. Um, and it's his brainchild, mostly, at least in the beginning it was. So I, I just don't think he is sometimes a prick. He is rude. He is aggressive. But he gets business done. And the WWE has been working exceptionally well for, you know, at least the last 25 years since the, um, 
what was that era called? I, I'm so the attitude era. The yes, the attitude. Listen, era. Thank here you. I'll I'll take over here as as the WWE fan. The reason why this took some convincing is because if you spend enough time listening to the way people talk about the business and specifically how WWE operates, it's very much and it's not a one man show because obviously um to put on a, a production of that matter um takes a lot of people but at the end of the day this the storylines and, and the creative they call it um it start it doesn't start but it ends with vince um you're pushing storylines that he wants you're pushing the the wrestlers that he wants you're building the image he wants for for better or for worse um and so as a fan and hearing the criticisms of mcmahon from inside the bubble as opposed to seeing what it looks like from outside of the bubble because outside of the bubble the wwe's been thriving for 25 30 years when you're when you're inside the bubble obviously you hear a little more you see a little more um but yeah there hasn't nobody nobody's able to been able to challenge them um since um wcw went down um so yeah uh, longevity wise and, and strength of product it's hard to argue with vince mcmahon the wwe I don't really know too much about WWE, to be honest. The way that it markets himself, or itself and the, the wrestlers themselves and they have these nicknames and these pictures, and I think that is equal, equivalent with NBA and these, these top real leagues. I will, say, I will say that the WWE knows exactly what it is. It's world wrestling yeah. entertainment. It's sports entertainment. And so you're not only building up an athlete who can do all these things, who can absorb punishment, who can – you know, take like jump off ropes and things like that. But you're also building a personality. The the biggest, the guys who make the most money are the ones who can connect with the crowd. You need people to keep coming back. You need people to care about the stupid storyline you're in because if they don't, then nobody's going to watch. Um, at the end of the day, it's the personality. It's like The Rock is the biggest star that WWE's ever had. And it's because of the connection he was able to have with the fans. He's now the biggest movie star in Hollywood. Um, that goes, like, you can have somebody who can't even jump an inch off the ground and be the greatest of all time because of the way that people like them. And so that's what's kind of cool about the WWE. All right, coming in fourth, we'll, we'll, we'll group four and five together. So fourth, we have Jay Monahan of the PGA. And then fifth, we have Gary Bettman. Not a hockey podcast. We Famously know not a hockey podcast. Um, what I will say about Monahan is, again, I'll, come, I'll, I'll give you recency bias. He immediately after the protests – sat down with Harold Varner, who you could argue is the second biggest black player in golf behind Tiger Woods, uh, and said, listen to what he said, open the dialogue, and asked, what can we do to change? And just hearing that from a league commissioner is, or an association commissioner was pretty refreshing to hear because I know in some other leagues that we haven't gotten to yet – they it took them days, days to respond, um, or even to release a statement, let alone open a dialogue. So I was very pleased with Jay Monahan there. Golf wise, he has updated the game, brought it into the 21st century, and the players like him. So what else can you ask for? Doug, Hard to argue against keys, it. anything you got there? As as somebody who doesn't watch um, a ton of PGA when it comes to to non majors, and who doesn't watch a ton of hockey when it's uh, non-playoffs, um, it's just it, this the, – the place where, where Monaghan and Bettman fit on this list speak more so to their – I don't know if it's an ability or they're just – the way they haven't grabbed headlines as opposed to things that they've done. So I think the middle of the list is, is good for these guys just because um, 
obviously, yeah, the commissioners, you're, you're, you run the PGA, you run the NHL, you're going to be in some headlines. But like when you talk about some of the guys we're going to get to. Monaghan specifically, I follow golf fairly, uh, fairly often, and I did not know that it, that was his name. I, I'm not really too much into the politics. I just kind of watch tournaments. But I think that's a good thing because, if anything, he's still putting out the product that I want to watch. And I think the next stop for golf in general and, the, and him as a commissioner has to be part of it is to, I don't know if it's market, but just publicize normal weekend tournaments and take those to the next level. Because I think majors themselves have separated them uh, to a different level than the, the normal golf tournament. But I think just every weekend golf tournament, I think that's the next step for golf to get those more publicized. It's a, I mean, that's a good point um, because there's, there's the four majors and then there's, you know, excluding the players championship and yeah. the FedEx cup. There's like five or six tournaments that people could like name on like memorials, one of them, or in like Arnold uh, Palmer's tournament um, in Bay Hill. That's another one. Like people you could non-majors that you can point to, but I agree with you. Cause like, what, what uh, the one I said about in Detroit, I don't even remember the name of it anymore, but like getting people more interested in that kind of tournament is a, that's, that's a good jumping step. point for them. Um, I, Keys and I can't really talk about it. Do you have anything to say about Bettman? He, I don't have much to say. He's done a good job with rule changes. One notably is the overtime switch to three on three, five minutes. It's, it's quicker. It's more fast paced. That's what fans want. But I think him keeping the overtime for like golden goal pretty much first goal wins in the playoffs was a smart move because everyone loves that. I think if you switch that up a little bit, then you would have gotten more people angry. Um, I don't really know too much, but I will, the one other thing he was, I don't know if it's kind of just hockey or him specifically, their plan was set in stone for post COVID quicker than any other league, maybe excluding the, the UFC. So I think the way that he handled that was written really much in the media. It was kind of behind closed doors, back and forth. This is the way we're going to do it. Stick with it. And I think that's been a positive. All right. So now we got five and six. I will, six I will say if, if, if we were going to break this into tiers, um, I think Adam Silver and Dana White are in their own tier. Um, Vince McMahon, it's debatable whether or not he even belongs on this list, but he absolutely <laughs> belongs in a tier by himself. And yeah. I think Monaghan and Batman belong together. And it's, it's a shame for, for our next candidate that he, he has found himself roped in with in the bottom two, but here we are. I was going to say, it's like that scene from uh, Moneyball, where it's like everyone else is here, then there's 50 feet of shit, then there's the Oakland A's. It's like this with Manfred and Goodell in the last two spots. Everyone else is here, 50 feet of shit, Manfred and Goodell. Uh, so we went with Manfred sixth, Goodell seventh. You could tell me either way I'd be happy. Um, uh, I don't want to start with Manfred. So, Keys, why don't you start with Manfred? Incompetence is the word that keeps coming up. Um, we can start with a number of different things um, like we opened the podcast with the fact that baseball still doesn't have a plan is mind boggling. Um, the way he handled the way he tried to make the Astros, the scapegoat for, um, and not that the Astros didn't deserve to be punished. They did, but um, for a league wide problem that everybody knows going on, um, the Yankees thing just looks bad. Uh, they just, baseball doesn't have their shit together and it, and it seems to reflect on Manfred. 
it's sad because baseball as it is, you, you kind of need a commissioner oh, of the sport more than and like just the average show. And I feel like he's just the average show. He's obviously done some a lot some positives, but it's not enough. And I think Let's, the baseball of a sport like like or a sport like baseball needs a commissioner that can elevate the sport more. Baseball needs personalities. Uh, like like Tim Anderson, who I love, um, and I, I know there's there's people in the game who don't like Tim Anderson. Well, why don't you like Tim Anderson? Because he's cocky. Because he brings some personality, some swagger, Perfect. some action to the game. If you, if you don't game, like, like him, fine. Because that's more like, talking points. There needs to be more. I, I, you need. I need more guys who play with passion. Like Dustin Pedroia. Like that guy played with passion. Was he? Was he like super in your face about it? Sometimes, yeah. But like it was entertaining to watch him play. Like I like people who like Mike Trout is a perfect sure. example. There's ways to market Mike Trout because he's not a mega personality. I was, but they just he, don't do it. Mike Trout has the – and people like people don't realize it because baseball is on such a poor job. Mike Trout has the ability to be statistically the best baseball player of all time. It's happening and no one gives a shit. It's happening no one cares. He's, he's the best baseball player of all time to this point in, 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 in their career. Like, he's like modern-day Mickey Mantle. Like, it, it, this, like, this is like – People are like soccer does a great job of this. Um, international soccer of recognizing stars at a young age. Ansu Fati is a 17 year old playing for Barcelona. Like they know they have a stud. Um, they marketing like Kylian Mbappe. I think is 21 years old when he was playing in Monaco in, in 2018 yeah. or 17. Um, France knew they had a superstar and they marketed like. Could you imagine if the NBA didn't market Jordan? There are ways. Like that's to build what's happening stars. here. Like like like. The, there's no reason why Mike Trout shouldn't be mentioned with, with the biggest stars in every sport. And he's just not because baseball is so out of sight, out of mind. It's ridiculous. Even though it's 162 games in, in a normal season, it's Zion Williamson's 19 years old, 20 years old. And everyone knows his name and he's yeah. played what 40, 30 games in the NBA. Yeah. Two and a half everyone months. Knows <laughs> well, everybody um, knew who Zion was when he was 16. Cause he could, cause he's a freak. Sure. Zion's a, but, Zion's but a bad the, example, it, but. People but like Zion. But, like, no, it's, it's guys like – it's it's like the fact that I knew who Donovan Peoples-Jones was before he even went to Michigan because Bleacher Report's talking about him. But there's, like – but it's just not – Alex Caruso's not a, a guy that is like, publicized for – Yeah, exactly. It's like who's the Alex Caruso of the MLB? Like nobody even knows. Is it Trevor Bauer? Trevor Bauer is <laughs> way better than Alex Caruso. That's my point. I – um I – I think we've said enough about – or I think you guys have said enough about that. I will say for Manfred before we talk about Goodell, he – his personality, I don't – like you get like a leader vibe from all the other guys. I don't get like a leader vibe from Manfred. I don't he, think – He comes off he, as a punching bag. Yeah. I, he's like – he is a, all these guys are lawyers by trade and he comes off as a lawyer whose side hustle is just running a billion dollar company. And I just, and these other guys, I, I, I don't understand. It's like, he's not fit for the job. Um, I, I've just got, I got a lot of problems like structurally with baseball, uh, with the, with MLB, not with baseball, but with the front office stuff. Um, and I just, he, we're going to be stuck with him for 20 years because the owners love him because he's a, Puppet. He's frugal. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Goodell. Goodell's easier to digress or to uh, to break down because 
pretty much he has been football wise. I don't have a lot of issues with him. I know you disagree with me on one point. I just, I, I mean, I don't. I, I hate. The I have. He just made to the season. I don't. I disagree wholeheartedly with. I think they went with the to 17, 17 games. games oh, I like that a lot. All of the play, All of the players are like, please stop making letting us play more. Like, like more bye weeks. Stop making us play Monday than Thursday. It's it's cruel. Or Monday than Saturday. Yeah. Like, 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 or like. The, some of the things where it's like it's it's so clear that it, it's for player safety and the betterment of the product and the better stars can stay healthy and and preserving careers and things like that and they just don't give a it's the it's it's so in the opposite of it's the opposite of baseball in the way that like none of the owners in baseball want to play because they want to say they want to save as much money as they can but in football it's the opposite all the owners want more games because they'll make more money and they don't give a single fuck about player safety and like Goodell if if we want to go back and just i mean if you want to talk about the way he's handled things in the last 6 months like he's just you can go back to Ray Rice you can go back to the way he handled concussions you can go back to the way he's handled even barstool how do you i mean not that the NFL needs it but like why like why alienate barstool like you're just getting unnecessary hate on the internet i don't get like when you could just a line and and I, I don't know I don't get it. He, he makes a lot of questionable decisions but just like it, he's just he doesn't seem genuine I will say you brought up Ray Rice um and I think if we I mean we could talk about Ray Rice but I, it's Kaepernick's the one we have to talk about it's like he black he the league blackballed a quarterback in his not in his prime a little bit past his prime because he stood up for something that I guess the league didn't understand at the time, even though it was blatantly obvious. It was so clear. It was so clear. And now, three years later, Goodell released a statement like three days ago. He said it's a tragedy or something that Colin Kaepernick should have a job on a team, which is in direct, a direct opposite of what he said in 2017 when Cap first took a knee, which it's just, it's baffling to hear how, just everyone turned on him on his decision, so he was like, "Oh, I guess I di- I'll divulge a little bit." And it's it's blatant public backtracking. Like, I guess it doesn't seem genuine. Like, do you does does Roger Goodell really feel like Colin Kaepernick should have a job? I don't know. Should Colin no Kaepernick way. have a job? Like, should he have a job? Yeah, yeah, because he's better than half the like half of the quarterbacks who have jobs in this league. Like, if Roger Goodell wanted Kaepernick to have a job, like, I don't know. I feel like that I'll would tell hold you this. a little. Like that that probably would hold a little weight. I can tell you Matt Schaub is the Falcons' backup right now, and I know for sure Colin Kaepernick can get up and down the field better than Schaub can. Schaub's a 39. Like, that's one guy. I'm sure there's 20 other ones like it. He's, Ray he's, Rice, concussions, social justice, they have missed the ball three times. Now four, because I don't think they've done it great this time either. So you include Black Lives Matter twice, Ray Rice, and concussions. They've completely screwed it up every time. That was really good. I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys just said. The one difference I think between Goodell and every other commissioner is his job, in my opinion, is the hardest. And what I and there's different directions you can go with that. The main one that I see and that I'm he struggles with, and I, I full heartedly agree with this, is he's got two polarized audiences pretty much. It's the old white guys that are fifty years and older and just want to see the classic football. And then you have this new generation and the way that he's handled them kind of coming together. And it's, it's been more attacked 
than it has been like togetherness. And I think that's the biggest problem. And he's the main point of it because he can say, you know what, I'll do this for you. I'll do this, this compromise. Let's do something that we can work together and it's become one league. But realistically, it's become two leagues that are filled with two different audiences. And it's sad because the NFL has a great product. It's a great sport. Still going to get good ratings no matter who the commissioner is. But the negative towards the commissioner, it's almost become such a good thing because he's such a joke. But himself, he's got to improve. Yeah, I mean, like everything we were saying, how the the, the league can take on, you know, the overall form of his commissioner and everything good you can say about Adam Silver and how he listens to his players and how he puts the players first. And it's all about the product and the field and the league and what can we do to, to make it inclusive and, and grow and, and, you know, really support unity and being together. And then you look at the way Goodell handles things. And it's like you said, he's trying, like, it, it feels like he's taking a stake and driving it right uh, down the middle. It's like, it, it's, yeah, I don't know this how much is, more we could even say without, like, I mean, we could go, we could go on Goodell bashing forever. Um, I, I have done. I w- was in full uh, support of having Manfred seventh. I've completely talked myself into having Goodell seventh. This is the last thing I'll say about it. Um, this has been a huge episode for Barstool Sports. I know they need help, but I was listening to part <laughs> of my take um, a week and a half ago, whenever it was. Part, uh, part of my take had Aaron Foster on, and. Aaron Foster really has been their like social justice correspondent and he's done an excellent job with that. But he brought up, he was, Aaron was still in the league in 2017 when cap first took a knee and he said they were trying to get meetings with Goodell. They were going through his secretary, through his office and he couldn't get anywhere. His own players couldn't get in contact with the person running the league because Goodell didn't want to hear their opinion. I just like, how do you not, how, if you're the boss, and your employee says, hey, boss, I want to talk to you about something that I think is important. And How do you and say, no, I'm, unha- I'm not going to do that. And then you turn around three years, four years later and try and seem genuine about it. Like, obviously, he needed to issue something. You can't sit there and be silent. But nobody nobody bought the, that his bullshit. Yeah. Nobody. So that that's where I am. I am now firmly Manfred 6, Goodell 7. Yeah, there it is. We got well, any any wrap up with the power rankings? Uh, I don't, I don't know if we have many surprises. No, I don't think. And I think the tier system you brought up is pretty fair. McMahon definitely deserves his own tier. Uh, I think that's fitting. Um, and then the, the middle guys are the middle guys and the bottom and the top are pretty clear. So let's, uh, let's move on to really what's becoming one of my favorite segments. Good week, bad week. It's so easy. Keys. Who had a good week? Who had a bad week? Oh, who had a good week? Uh, Premier League had a good week. Premier League's back, um, so that's exciting. Um, baseball, I guess, had a, baseball has had a weird week. Baseball has not had a good week. Um, Bad week. <laughs> good. Uh, I don't know. It's been it's been odd. It's been odd. Um, bad week for the Yanks. Um, bad week for Rob Manfred. Um, and hopefully, um, good week for for reform and and for steps in the right direction as a country. Well said. Uh, I'll go, or Doug, go ahead, actually. All right. My good week, it's good week for Kyle Schwarber. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but the DH, at least for two seasons, it looks like, will be in the National League for the first time, I think, ever. Um, Barry Bonds, Mike Piazza, they both had 10 home runs as a National League DH. Next up on that list at nine, Kyle Schwarber. 
So I expect that number to even go up, and he will take over that number one ranking over Barry Bonds. And then, so oh yeah, bad week. saying that about <laughs> Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, you still got time. Uh, bad week for tem- <laughs> team chemistry in ping pong. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the part of the NBA rules, they kind of set out a guideline, and kind of like a rule book almost, like you get a sleepaway camp for what can you do at Orlando, what can't you do. And one of the things that stuck out was you cannot play team ping pong. So if you want to play ping pong against your teammate, it can only be one-on-one, which is – a good rule, I guess, it limits the six feet distancing, but I, I don't know if that's the biggest deal in the world. It was such I a hilarious imagine. thing to read. Who would be the most likely team to be playing 2v2 ping pong? Joe Ingle said he – who did he tweet? He tweeted at someone. He's like, you know what? Shit, now we can't be teammates anymore. How do, how do like – has like a 6'8 and like a 6'4 guy like look on the same side of a ping pong table? I don't know. But that's kind of cool. I, I just – I don't know. It's kind of sidetracked, but – the Orlando kind of camp feel of like, this is your campus. Obviously it's sad. You can't go anywhere, but make yourself a home, have some fun. I like that part. How about just a quick divulge? Kyrie Irving is a crazy person. Like he has completely exposed himself as a crazy person. I, I will say I like, I found myself on both sides of the fence with the Kyrie thing, because on at the very base, if you, and I know Kyrie's half a nut. Um, and like, I have my own personal things with Kyrie and because of the Celtics and all of that, but it does see like his head is in the right place. His heart's in the right place. Yeah. Um, and if like his point is really interesting, if, if live sports is going to distract from the protests going on and, and I, 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 and like, I think a LeBron's point and I want to put words in LeBron's mouth and believe me, he doesn't think I will, but um, like if you can, you can have live sports and have that be, a stage and a platform to elevate a protest, but you can also have it be a distraction. And so finding the right balance to where you're not taking away from the more important issue, um, but you're also getting back to, to playing sports and giving people that outlet um, is something that every league, not just the NBA is going to have to figure out the right balance for. Yeah, I agree with that. I, Cause if you go back to the norm, then we might go back to the norm and other things. So I, yeah, I don't know. Kyrie, man, just a nut job, uh, but with some good ideas. My good week, I, my good week, professional golf. Great week for professional golf. Um, amateur golf, I was – if you follow me on Twitter, you, you are well aware of the just throes of depression I went through You had this a week. tough week. You had a tough I week. I was – and I'll, I'll, I'll give you two minutes on this before we wrap up. A bad day for me on the course is mid nineties. I wow. am happy. I am happy on the golf course. If I shoot between, you know, I, I don't break 80 that often, but I'll say 83 and 89. I am leaving the golf course, a happy guy. I, the last three times before I went out and played today, I shot 98, 97, 95. I was in the torture chamber. I couldn't do anything. I went out and played today. I shot 87. I, uh, I was happy. I had five pars in a row. So I'm going to say since the week, my golf week is over, I'm not playing for the rest of the week. It was a good week for golf for me since it ended on a high. Um, I worked some stuff out. I fought through some emotional things. I'm very happy with the, with the end game today. Um, Also, I said bad week for golf because 
look at the fucking shit I did earlier this week. I was shooting almost a hundred. I was such an. Uh, it was bad. I know. Um, I know. I know. You shot a hundred. I know guys who would kill for a hundred. Yeah, yes, I know. I, I felt included. like I was set, like some. I mean, I have friends that are better than me. I have friends that are way worse than me. And my ninety-eight, I was like. Some people would kill for this score, and it's out, like it ruined my day. I let it ruin my day, and some people would be over the moon for that. I'll get there one so, day. Yeah, I almost got an eagle today. It was close. Out of boy, out of boy. I will say, I will brag. I uh, I had this terrible lie. I had a decent drive, but it ended up terrible lie. I hit this punch shot with my five iron about 170 yards, like two feet. It was the greatest <laughs> feeling in the world. Should have walked um, up the course then. Gentlemen, it was great to be back. We'll be, I, I will tease a little bit. As soon as baseball figures their shit out, um, we will have an MLB insider on, and I believe we're going to have a basketball personality on sooner or later. Uh, we will be tweeting some teasers for that later. But that's it for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another Sideline Report. Out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man.